Welcome, 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 everyone, to another edition of Touring the AFC South. And this week, we got a crossover episode for you talking Atlanta and Tennessee and their connections. But first, if this is your first time tuning in, or if this is your second or third or fourth or whatever time tuning in, go ahead and follow along on Spotify and Anchor so you can get each episode when I drop them. And if you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on there at Twitter, on Twitter at MikePatton82. Let's go ahead and kick off this show uh, this week, of course, with our early hits. Uh, it could be anything in the NFL, could be something in the AFC South as well. Let's get started first with Carl Nassib, the defensive lineman for the Los Angeles, excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders. He came out as being gay this week. The announcement makes him the first active gay player in the NFL. Uh, I will say probably the first active gay player that we know of, but you know the first one to actively know be known as gay in the NFL. Uh, Nasib also donated a hundred thousand dollars to the Trevor Project, which provides suicide prevention services for the LGBTQ community. Uh, you know, and a, a fact out there is that. Young LB, LGBTQ kids are over five times more likely than straight kids to communicate, excuse me, to commit suicide. Um, you know, that's uh, definitely a big donation and uh, definitely bringing attention to uh, the Trevor Project. And, you know, and, and the NFL didn't match his donation to the Trevor Project as well of 100000 Now, you know, some people are, you know, expressing their feelings of, different things on social media about him coming out as this and that and the other. But I'm like, you know, he's still a human being one. And I know some people will throw the Bible or their beliefs at him. But one thing I, I would also mention to uh, anyone that wants to throw their beliefs or, or the Bible at him is that the Bible never taught anyone on any of us to hate people either. So, you know, while you're, you're saying this, that, and the other about him, uh, the Bible also told us to love our neighbor. So, uh, Mr. Nassib is not, uh, you know, he, he's, he, he's not, you know, a person that we, we don't love just because he doesn't do the things that we would, or believe the things that we may believe or that, that other people may believe in other different religions. So, you know, I applaud, applaud him for having the courage to do what he did and to say what he said and just to live his life. Um, I'm pretty sure there will probably be more people, you know, that will, uh, this won't be the last, I don't believe, uh, because there probably are more, uh, gay men in the NFL than probably any of us know or have known, you know, from of course, previous, uh, decades as well. So, you know, I applaud Mr. Nassib for just living in his truth, uh, you know, and, you know, while it may not be something that, a lot of people support or different kinds of religious beliefs, things like that. He still is deserving of love, people. Love. All right. And 
My second early hit for this week is the NFL Combine. For years, since 1987, the NFL Combine has been in Indianapolis from, you know, the, the old Colts Stadium to Lucas Oil Stadium, they currently have now. Uh, I mean, going all the way back to 1987, that's, that's over, wow, that's, that's over 30-plus years. I mean, wow, long time. So now the NFL has decided to open bidding for the NFL Combine starting with the 2023 offseason. Now, I'm wondering in my mind how they're going to pull that off. Honestly, you know, it seems like Indianapolis is set up for uh, the, the Combine as well. It's going to have to be someplace where they've got a facility pretty close to a workout facility. May more than likely need to be an inside facility as well. So, in my opinion, thinking about the 2023 offseason, I mean, one place they could think of would be they could do uh, out in uh, Inglewood, California, the new stadium out there, the Rams and Chargers share. It could be Las Vegas with the Raiders. I mean, it could be Minneapolis with the Vikings. I mean, just a couple different ideas. Now, do I think they want to go to Minneapolis to do this combine? No, and I don't think very many reporters or anyone like that want to do that either. But that's just a place that's inside, and you can, you can kind of space out everything in there. Just a thought, maybe not the best idea, but hey, you know, just a few indoor stadiums, uh, preferably probably I would say the Las Vegas uh, or the Los Angeles would probably be a good place. Or another place, Arizona Cardinals. Just a thought. Just a thought, but, you know, they have plenty of time to uh, see what those bids turn out to be. And as teams are bidding for that combine, that's another way for the NFL to make more money, to recoup money that was lost uh, through the, the pandemic and the, the, the pandemic season. Uh, they're, they're definitely coming out with uh, ways to try to make that money. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's more actually coming down the line. All right, that's our early hits for the week. Next up, we're talking a little Atlanta and Tennessee and their connections that stretch over a couple decades. And I have a special guest with me, Mr. Antoine Smitty Smith. You're tuned in to Touring the AFC South. That's witty. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Touring the AFC South. Well, let's just say welcome back. <laughs> and uh, this week, you know, we're talking about the South, but, you know, we can't talk about the South without one of the biggest and best, best cities in the South, and that's Atlanta. And there is a team in the AFC South that has a pretty good history, minus one part, I should say, <laughs> with the city of Atlanta, and that's the Tennessee Titans. So we're going to travel down to Atlanta, kind of pair, talk about the pairing of the of the cities and the different things that have happened between both in terms of players and events, things like that. And 
I, I went and got somebody from Atlanta. The guy that, that talks Atlanta sports 24-7, 365, can give you anything you want to know about Atlanta sports. That is my guy, Antoine Smitty-Smith. What's going on, man? Hey, what's up, Magic Mike? <laughs> Magic Mike. <laughs> oh, no, man. Channing Tatum can have that, man. <laughs> but... uh. <laughs> But yeah, man, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, you know, we definitely Anytime, gonna talk more. What's that? Anytime. Yes, sir. Just uh we're gonna talk a little bit Atlanta and Tennessee. And uh, you know, we can't go back to Atlanta and talk about the Tennessee connection without talking about the Super Bowl. And yes, we're talking about that Super Bowl that <laughs> the Tennessee Titans lost to <laughs> the St. Louis Rams by one yard. I got a question for you. Um, can you remember where you were during that run for the Titans in that game in the Super Bowl? Oh, that last play, I was glued to the TV. Um, <laughs> I actually think uh, that's in my top three. And the reason why I say that is because we seen one of the best NFL offenses of all time go against a very stout defense that no one gives credit to. And they always bring up the music city miracle. But um, I still think that Tennessee Titans team, uh, it was stacked from head to toe, starting with Steve McNair and Eddie George on offense to the freak Javon Curse on defense. Uh, so where I was when I seen that play, uh, I thought he scored, but after I saw the replay, I said, man, he was short. And I would love to see that game go to overtime because, uh, like I said, uh, it was, you know, strength against strength. Uh, but it was a great game. Like I said, one of my top three all the time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely a lot of Tennessee Titans fans were were sad after that one. But, you know, Tennessee Titans, I should say this. They're the only team I know they got a parade in their city after they lost the Super Bowl. So, yeah, actually, right. when I was listening, yes, the Tennessee Titans got an actual parade through the city of Nashville when they lost the Super Bowl because the city of Nashville was that much appreciative of their efforts. So, you know, but uh, <clears throat> and speaking of the Titans and after that game, did you think they were going to get back with all the talent they had? I thought they were. Uh, they had an excellent chance to get back. Uh, still had pretty much the same team. But the thing about it, when people get film on you, it changes things. So I kind of figured that's why they probably didn't get you know, back to that level uh, because when people watch film on you and get a feel of what you're trying to do, um, it's, it's very hard. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, fast forward to now, and we're going to switch over to a, a little bit of the Atlanta side of, of this of this equation. Now Atlanta has Dean Pease and Arthur Smith as their defensive coordinator and head coach, respectively. Right. What did you think of the hire when it first happened? And have you had you seen uh, much of the offense that Arthur Smith had ran? Uh, yeah, uh, I love the pairing. I actually had Arthur Smith uh, picked his head coach before the search even started because I said that guy deserves uh, a head coaching position for the great job that he did at Tennessee. Um, Derrick Henry, as you know, his first year, first couple of years. Um, he was pretty much, uh, I wouldn't say average, but above average. But when Dean Pete, I'm sorry, Arthur Smith learned to use him uh, in Tennessee to his advantage and put the right 
pieces around him. Uh, you see what you see what kind of all hell broke loose. If you want me to keep it simple, uh, <laughs> so if he finds that same uh, type running game, now, now I know he's not going to have a Derrick Henry, but if he has a consistent running game with running back by committee, um, we know Matt Ryan is one of the best play action passers in the NFL. Uh, you have a Kyle Pitts who's pretty dangerous, much like Julio Jones. Uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, the line is going to be improved because he's going to be coaching the offensive line as well, uh, along with the other guy who came from Tennessee. So um, when you look at that dynamic, um, I think it's a perfect storm. Gotcha, gotcha. And as far as uh, Dean Pease, uh, what did you think of that hire? I actually loved it, man. I watched him in Baltimore as their uh, defensive coordinator and what he did um, – I like that he runs a 3-4 and he uses, um, as, how should I say, oversized uh, defensive lineman for 3-4 ends. So uh, it's going to be something new and dynamic uh, with the speed that they have behind them uh, with Deion Jones, Foyer Olawakon, and um, Deron Harmon. Nobody's talking about him, uh, the guy that came over from Detroit. Uh, I think uh, that veteran leadership is going to be crucial. Uh, for the Atlanta Falcons on defense under Dean Pease. And one thing that I would love to see him running, I think he would do it, is a lot of zone blitzing, much like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, because the Falcons, um, their defensive unit is kind of built uh, with speed uh, and a little bit of power up front. So I uh, can't wait to see what he's going to do. Gotcha. Well, speaking of uh, their offense, of course, you know, one big piece that's not there anymore is Julio Jones. He's here in Tennessee, which another connection, of course. Um, what do right. you think uh, of their, their offense is going to look like without Julio? Uh, I think it's going to be tough for a little while, but not as bad as people think because um, Julio missed seven games last year and Calvin really still put up Pro Bowl numbers. Uh, and as I said before, Kyle Pitts, who people are calling the unicorn, you can line him up anywhere on the field, and he has that same type of effect as Julio. Uh, people don't think about Russell Gage, but he also had 70 catches last year. So um, the passing game is going to be fine. It's going to be, as I said, the running game that um, will probably let you know how good this offense is going to be with Mike Davis, um, Cordell Patterson, who's a gadget-type guy who will play running back, wide receiver, and probably kick returner. Uh, so just look for a lot of trick plays, um, a lot of screens. Uh, anything you can name, Arthur Smith is going to pull it out of his hat. But I think they'll be fine in the long run. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we're going to switch back, going to kind of switch, go back and forth this show. Uh, going back to the Titans, um, we're going to discuss one particular gentleman that played for the Atlanta Falcons, and he played or somewhat played for the Tennessee Titans. Cup of coffee. <laughs> that would be Mr. Big Beasley Jr. Of course, uh, Atlanta people in Atlanta, they already know the, the infamous Chuck Smith rant where he drew the, <laughs> the ire of uh, Chuck Smith because of just the way he was playing. And of course, you know, the ire he drew of the Titans fans. Right. Uh, when he was here for that half a season. Um, what exactly happened there in Atlanta for him to become who he became? And, of course, you know, what just what exactly happened? 
Well, I had no problem with Vic Beasley. Um, I just think he didn't give his all on every play. There are some plays you see him, you know, put in more work than others. But the thing about him, he, I think he needed more motivation. And they didn't have the person on the team to give him that motivation. Uh, the year they made the Super Bowl, he had 15 and a half sacks. A lot of people don't know, and they didn't think about it, the white freedom uh, gave him the motivation, gave him um, the mindset to go out and dominate. Now, you shouldn't have to motivate anybody that plays football, but some people need that. And the white free provided that for Vic Beasley and should have made a Pro Bowl that should have been up for defensive player of the year, but he wasn't. He led the NFL in sacks, his best year in the league. And after they let Freeney go, he went downhill again. So uh, motivation was the key for Vic Beasley. You saw it in Tennessee. They didn't have anybody to motivate him and put him put on the other side of him. So um, it didn't work out. Yeah, in Tennessee, it just seemed like uh, it started off kind of funny as well because he didn't show up on time for camp. And then when he got here, it, you know, he never hurt much. He talked about, I think it was a knee injury that he was dealing with. Right. And then when the season started, it just seemed like he didn't have that push or fire coming off the, the football. And after the Cincinnati game, I, I just, I guess they decided that was it and they were done with him. And I haven't seen him in a camp since. So. I'm yeah, guessing he played. He, he actually had a short stint with the Raiders. Uh, but oh. if you've seen that clip, what I've seen, uh, he got demolished. Um, and it's another, you know, like I said, he was lined up as a defensive end on that uh, video clip. He's not a defensive end, he's an outside linebacker. He's a speed rusher. If a speed rusher, uh, say like Dante Fowler, uh, see how he, he succeeded in LA next to Aaron Donald. They have to have a strong end to play next to to help them get leverage if they can't use their arms or don't have the strength in their legs. And that was always his problem. He didn't have the lower body to go along with his upper body. So um, if, they, if the offensive lineman get a hand on him, he's pretty much out of the play. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I know Titans, were, uh, Titans fans were hoping for a lot of great things from him and a lot of great things from Jadavion Clowney. And unfortunately, he got a big donut from both of them, which is for those right. that don't know, it's a zero is in zero sacks. So, you know, so <clears throat> we're going to keep talking Titans and uh, getting back to the current Titans as, as they stand right now. Where do you, do you do you think they can not only win the AFC South, but be the representative of the ASC in the Super Bowl next year in L.A. potentially? Uh. I give them a great chance, and the reason why I say that, I don't think that they're going to switch up much from what Arthur Smith ran with the new offensive coordinator. I think he was there anyway, uh, so they're pretty much going to run the same system. And Ryan Tannehill will be a bit key to that. If he can get the ball and fit the ball where he needs to fit it, uh, and like I said pretty much with Atlanta, uh, Derrick Henry is going to be key. Uh, if they can open up that run game and keep that passing game vertical, uh, it will be hard to stop. And that's for any team in the AFC and the NFC, too. When you have a 260-pound running back that's a freight train, uh, running the ball and wearing down the defense, play action becomes even more dangerous with a guy like Ryan Tannehill because he can run. Uh, so when you have a scrambling quarterback to go along with a power run game and two dynamic receivers and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, I mean, you got to pick your poison. It's going to be tough to stop. 
Right, right. So, you know, I, I'll say this when it comes to the Tennessee Titans, I've got them in the running for, the, you know, uh, being an AFC South, excuse me, an AFC contender. But of course, you've got the Chiefs, you've got the Bills, you've got the Ravens that'll be there, you've got the Browns that'll be there, and the Titans. Those five right there will definitely be right there. So it'll be interesting to see how those teams either progress or regress uh, from the last season as well. But and, you, but you notice, do you notice what you said? One of those teams were the Browns. What do they do the best? Run the football. Same as Tennessee. Both of those teams are going to be the two teams to watch because they're going to run the football down people's throat. They're going to chew up clock, which keeps their defense off the field, keeps them fresher, more fresh during the game. Uh, so those two teams are going to be the two teams to watch literally because of their run game. Now, question I do have um, is, you know, if you don't uh, – what, what do you think takes the Tennessee to the next level – in terms of the additions and just things in general for next season? Um, I think uh, I would have to say uh, see how well they play on defense with all the key losses that they had. Uh, Dory Jackson, uh, Malcolm Butler, uh, just a lot of losses on defense. They feel those, those spots, those roster spots, properly with someone who can come in and fill in right away. Uh, I think they'll be fine, but that I think that'll be their biggest challenge, not offense. And this is why I said the run game is even more important now because uh, the less they're on the field um, and the more they control the clock, I think they have a better chance of winning games. Uh, with an inexperienced defense, you have to have that. Well, one thing I will say is I think the, the addition of Bud Dupree from uh, Pittsburgh is provide these healthy and Danico Archery from uh, Indianapolis will be huge for them. If both of those guys right. can, are healthy and can contribute as well. And then the one thing that, that nobody talks about when it comes to the, to uh, Danico Archery is he's kind of an older free agent. I think he's about 30. Yeah. So 30. Yeah. a lot of people haven't talked about that, but I'm, I'm just wondering how he's going to kind of fit in being that he, you know, his first time really a big splash free agent at 30 years old, I believe is what he is. So that'll be well, interesting. I to mean, watch. It, that's true. But if he fits in the system, think he'll be fine. Uh, it's just like Julio on the other side. Uh, if he fits into what they like to do offensively and they can get him the ball down the field, I think he'll be fine. It, it's not, you know, how old you are. It's just how you fit in the system. Uh, like I say all the time, Bruce Smith was about 38, 39 years old, still getting double-digit sacks. In the league. So uh, it's just all about how you fit with the team. That's true. You're right. You're right. Now, I know this question is probably going to be an easy answer for you, but who has more wins next year, Atlanta or Tennessee? Hmm. I would say Tennessee, and I think Derrick Henry would probably be a, a big part of the reason why. Uh, I've said it before, clock control, ground game. Uh, it's going to register them a lot of wins. Uh, that young defense needs to stay off the field. So I think, uh, yeah, Tennessee. I'll give them 10 wins to Atlanta's eight. So you got eight for Atlanta. Okay. All right. So uh, you, you think uh, Arthur Smith and uh, Dean Pease will make that big of a difference for them and, you know, the different players in different positions as well? Yeah, it's, it's their first season, so they got to get acclimated with what they want to do. Uh, you really don't become successful until you put your team on the field. 
Uh, same thing with Dan Quinn. The reason why he went to the Super Bowl in his second year uh, was because he put his team on the field, what he wanted to do, his type players. And once you have your type players on the field that runs your schemes and what you need to be successful, um, that's pretty much it. So we will see. Gotcha. All right. Now, if you had to pick the uh, winner, the, the order of the ASC South next year, and that would be just giving the teams, the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts, Houston Texans, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. What order would you put those teams finishing next season? I still got to go Colts first, man. Uh, I love, like, I, I love, I love the ground game, and they have everything. Jonathan Taylor, uh, Marlon Mack, Carson Wentz can get back to his old self. Uh, Quentin Nelson is a monster. Uh, he reminds me of a young Larry Allen, uh, old Cowboys offensive lineman. Until you find a way to slow down that ground game, Indianapolis is going to run wild. Uh, Tennessee is a close second, not far behind. Uh, I think Jacksonville uh, jumps Houston because Houston is a dumpster fire and they have a long way to go. So I would go Indy, Tennessee, Jacksonville, and Houston. Gotcha. Gotcha. And now how, my last question, and we're going to flip back to Atlanta. How do okay. you see Atlanta finishing in the in the NFC South? Uh, Tampa is still the team to beat, man. I'm not going to lie. They're strong on both sides of the football. No, Tom Brady is not the reason. Uh, it's Devin White, uh, if you want me to be honest. He's the guy that's the catalyst for that team. Um, defense was strong. Now, even though they had a weakness in the secondary, they covered that up pretty well because – Devin White could cover, Devontae David can cover. Uh, so Tampa Bay is still the team to beat. Um, New Orleans is a pretty much a question mark because of their quarterbacking situation. But I think Carolina jumps back up to the second spot because Christian McCaffrey comes back. Sam Darnold, I think, is a perfect fit for what they want to do. And Matt Rule's offense. Um, and they built around defense last year, which I love. Uh, so their defense is going to be strong. So I think they will – Probably be a surprise second, and I could, I wouldn't be surprised if they took the NFC South last next year. So uh, Carolina second, New Orleans third, and maybe uh, Atlanta maybe finish fourth. Gotcha. Well, you don't tell too many people that you had Atlanta finishing fourth. Man. Oh, they hey uh -oh. hey Mike, <laughs> they know me, man. They know me. I keep it real, man. I when you research the game and you do your homework, man, you're gonna always look at things different. And they know me, so they they respect they always respect my opinion. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I just want to thank you for stopping through. Uh, if you would tell tell the people what you got working on, tell uh tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Hey man, I'm always working on everything Atlanta from uh the Falcons, the Braves, the Hawks. I gotta get more into Atlanta United. Uh, but if you want to find all my work, just go to my Twitter account. At Fatboy Slim underscore 21. That's F A T B O I S L I M underscore 21. And um, before I get out of here, man, I just want to say, man, thank you for always supporting me. Always um, motivate me to be a better, um, better writer, um, content creator. Uh, you always give me great ideas, and I appreciate that. Well, thanks for uh, coming on and. Uh Thanks for thanks again. Uh, you know that, that that means a lot, man. Uh, thanks again no for coming on. Uh, this has been another episode of Touring the AFC South. 
the New York, excuse me, not New York, <laughs> the uh, Tennessee Atlanta crossover episode, and we're out. Welcome, welcome, welcome again to another edition of Touring the AFC South. I'm your host, Mike Patton. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to also invite you all to follow me on Twitter at MikePatton82 and also subscribe to the show on Google Anchor and anywhere else you get your podcast. Today's show, we've got a very, very special guest, NFL Hall of Famer Warren Moon is in the house. But first, of course, we're going to go over these early hits. First up, the NFL helmet rule has been passed where the now teams can have an alternate helmet. The rules first put in place to not allow alternate helmets because of safety rules, but thankfully it's being changed and, you know, they're being altered. So that way teams can have an alternate helmet. Um, now you can see teams maybe with color rush jerseys, with the matching helmet, some throwback jerseys, the right uniforms, man, that box has been opened. Now it won't be until 2022 when this happens. However, I'm already looking forward to some different jerseys. I mean, I don't know if anyone remembers, but the San Francisco 49ers had all black jerseys and pants and everything, but then had a gold helmet on. It just didn't match up. Uh, and, you know, there's plenty of other uh, different things. I mean, the Bengals had an all-white uniform and had an orange helmet. I mean, it still matched, but, you know, it would have been nice if they had a white helmet to go with it. But, you know, those things are now available to NFL teams. I can only imagine what these color rush and throwback uniforms are going to really look like now. You know, with the throwback helmets and those type of things. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, moving on. Tight End University, or Tight End U for short, was held in the Nashville area pretty recently. Uh, and the event was put together by San Francisco 49ers tight end, along with retired tight end Greg Olson and Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, as they invited as many tight ends as they could to work on their skills together and sharp, share, excuse me, share tips with each other. The event lasted a couple of days, and it was a uh, it was a it was a success, and it more than likely will happen again. However, there was one question that George Kittle was asked on first take and it brings up a Mr. Tim Tebow on first take Kittle was asked basically why he was not invited to the actual camp here's what his response was if I can't invite every tight end how do I how do I not invite a second or third string guy on a team that's been playing tight end since he was 18 years old in high school. Nothing against Tim Tebow. I hope he has an incredible he has incredible success this year. 
I hope he has 10 touchdowns. I hope he has a great year, but it's hard for me to invite someone to this that's just started playing the position when I can't invite a guy that has been playing it for 8 to 10 years. That's just hard for me. I bet Kittle never imagined he would have to answer that type of question. And it's crazy that Kittle even was asked this question about a guy that has been playing tight end for not even three months. Not everyone can play tight end, and like Kittle said, there are plenty of guys that have been playing tight end for a while that were not able to get an invite. The audacity that ESPN would even ask this question when it had nothing to do with Tim Tebow, it just it made me shake my head. Made me shake my head a lot. You know, basically, Tim Tebow is just a guy that's basically attempting to play. He was a very successful college quarterback. You know, he was. He was a winner. But when he got in the NFL, he wasn't as successful as a quarterback. Been out for a while, and now he's trying to come back and tight end. That's just what it is. And there are other tight ends that definitely are probably above him in the pecking order of people that were were there or were, I guess, arranged to be there. Speaking of different positions, my last uh, <clears throat> early hit for this week is talking about another player that actually is trying to make a comeback, and his name is Brandon Jacobs. Many remember the former NFL running back, the big bruiser. He was about, what, 6'4", probably about 250. I'm probably exaggerating, but hey, he was a big guy. He, well, I'm not exaggerating. He probably was every bit of 250. But anyway, uh, he mentioned he would be interested in coming back as a defensive end for team. Yes, a defensive end for teams. He also recently mentioned that he has heard from three teams, I believe, as well. And he was told by those teams not to mention that they were interested. Of course, you got to remember he's, you know, there's a key point here. He's like 38 or 39 years old. Now, I applaud him for the belief in himself, and he has every right to do this if that's what he wants to do. But do I think he makes a team as a defensive end this season? No, I don't think so. I don't think anyone's taking a, a shot or a crack as a 39-year-old defensive end or guy that's trying to play defensive end and learn the position at 39 years old, 38, 39 years old at the highest level of football. I just don't think that that you know he makes a roster doing that. Now, do I think someone gives him a chance? Yes, I think someone gives him a chance. And I know people will probably think I'm crazy for thinking that someone will. But you also got to remember, someone gave a certain guy in Florida a chance to play tight end when he had played quarterback all his life. So, it's definitely possible. But do I see him making a roster? No, I do not. Well, that's from the quick hits for today. Up next, we have, again, Warren Moon, NFL Hall of Famer Warren Moon. We're going to see what he has to say about these AFC South quarterbacks and more on touring the AFC South. Hope you all enjoyed that interview with NFL Hall of Famer Warren Moon. 
definitely got into some uh, good stuff talking about the quarterbacks in the AFC South. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you're not following along, go to wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be uh, Anchor or Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, wherever. Go search Touring the AFC South. Follow along. I promise you and you'll enjoy it. Again, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't caught up early hits earlier, check those out. And also the interview with Mr. Warren Moon. My name is Mike Patton. I'm your host. And this has been another edition of Touring the AFC South. I'm out.